I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of The Front Free. My name is Adam Boltwood. Joining me as always is the one and only Lawrence McKenna. That's your cue to say something. Welcome back. And of course... We've also got the stat man himself, Dave O'Brien. Hello. Hello, how's it going? Yeah, all right. I took a, took a ball to the eye in, in Fiverside today, so <laughs> I, I might have a bit of a black eye coming tomorrow. But, you I'm, know, I'm glad you clarified in Fiverside that. But uh, what happened then? Someone just smacked it at your face. I was in goal, so we do, we do oh. shifts in goal 15 minutes, and I just took one square in the face. You know, unlucky. Square in the face, mate, yeah. But, that's Dave, that's different than seeing you and Adam, right? When Adam's not on the podcast he's taking an e when you're <laughs> off the podcast you're taking a ball to the face <laughs> uh, these are these are these are accusations that are flying around here it's about my my recent holiday in barcelona where i'm just know, trying to scare off any potential sponsors <laughs> oh yeah they're, they're well scaled up i won't worry about that um listen this uh, it's good to be back i was away on holiday last week uh, did you miss me something um Dave, um, you know what, Dave and I really enjoyed uh, having Messi on. Messi yeah, was good. He was up. Joel, yeah, big yeah. thanks to Joel. He, he stepped in. He did a very good job. Uh, it was uh, it was a good listen on the way back. It's I was right, listening, I was very listening on the plane back. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Inter- Mr. International. You're yeah. like Pitbull. Well, Mr. Worldwide. Not exactly. I doubt Pitbull travels via Ryanair. But uh, anyway, <laughs> it's, uh, so yeah, Lawrence, you're the only one who hasn't missed an episode now. Me and Dave have now missed an episode each. And you're the only I'm trying my best. You're like John Terry of the podcast, just appearing every time so far. Holding. And a complete dick when he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, but... <laughs> so I wonder I wonder if you're gonna appear in every single episode ever. You know, when hypothetically this podcast may end one day, you know, in no, uh, never. 10, 20 years or something. You know, when we're in old people's home, the three of us yeah. just sitting around like and I reckon... don't know. I told you there'd be another mess. Exactly. <laughs> You might have done every episode, Lawrence. You might be the only one of the front three who have done every single episode. Anyway, Absolutely. listen, welcome to episode 11. Thank you once again for listening, whether it's on iTunes or SoundCloud or elsewhere. You know, thank you for sending all your nice comments. The comment of the week this week is going to go to Eduardo Tardi, who said, I love listening to your podcast on Wednesday afternoons while playing FIFA. Yeah, that's up a lovely image, doesn't it's it? It's a great way to spend your time. You're sitting there having a nice game of FIFA, listening to some great chat, you know, going on. Well done, Eduardo. Is all I can do, you, say. do you have a? Do you, do you normally have a FIFA playlist? Because you know, when I was, I don't really play FIFA playlist. as much. I have to admit, but I, I used to have a couple of songs that if I just put them on, they'd make me play good. Do you know what I mean? No, that is not something I've experienced. But I'd love to know if that happens for someone else. I usually just yeah. listen to the, the music in the game. The music's quite no, good. I'm not a fan. It's no, usually quite good in the game, I thought. I used to like it, but it's not the same anymore. It's just not the same Too poppy anymore. for me. Too poppy. Yeah. Hey, it's all about the Jamie, the new Jamie XX album. Definitely get that on whilst you're playing FIFA. Great combination. Mate, I'm I saw, still... I saw, him, I saw him in Barcelona, mate. I saw him at the music festival. Did you really? Not a big deal, mate. Not a big deal. Are you sure you saw him <laughs> or were you just on an E? Well, yeah, I could have been. <laughs> while I was on all of... No. All of the E's. I was high on nothing but life, Lawrence, is what I was saying. 
Uh, it looked lovely. Your Facebook Facebook photos look incredible. Much. Anyway, um, yeah, thanks a lot for your comments, and, and also uh, thanks a lot for all the people that did research last week as well. Dave, uh, yeah, big shout out to Javier Favela for giving us the the old Mexican, you know, four, three numbers on your back of your shirt. Lovely stuff. Thanks, yeah. Javier. Because last week we were talking about what what number you would have, and we can find out from you as well, Adam. Uh, what number you would have on the back of your shirt if you couldn't have a conventional squat number? So, Ooh. say you got to the team and they were like, "Oh, sorry, you know, you can't have." you know, 16, or, you know, because yeah. Sebastian Cuartes has got it, and you'd be like, well, tell him not to have it, because you know, I'll be first team, and they go, no, he's got it. And you're like, okay, well, I'll take the number. Well, when you say conventional, we'd be talking about 1 to 21 or something. Well, that one, well we, we, so I, I said I'd take 83, because it was my grandma's house number when I was a kid. What would you, you know, like Dave would take, what did you take, Dave? 69? 45. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did you say, 45? Why 45? Oh, it's the it's a pretty boring one again. Day of the month, the fourth, and then it's the the fifth month of May. Pretty boring. Yeah, no. It's yeah, you're right, David. It's no, boring. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Sorry for wasting your time. <laughs> yeah, I'd have uh, I'd have uh, free, 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 front free, free on the back, three hundred and thirty-three. You can get number thirty-three, surely. No, I get three hundred and thirty-three because there's three of us, front free. You know, good. Like, it would the, yeah. the 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 word would read front, and then the numbers would be free, free, free. Which is sort of quite confusing, but um, good. Yeah, it'd be very. What's, front the, three, what's the front three hundred and thirty-three? Mate, that's not even a formation. Hey, listen, <laughs> it made sense before I realised what I said. Imagine if you, imagine if you got four hundred and forty-two, or you got four three three or something. Four three three. Yeah, see, that's good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, let's know. I wish I'd, uh, I'd thought about that before I said it. But anyway, listen. Uh, if you, if... <laughs> I wish I thought before words came out my mouth. Before oh, I said it. If you want to let us know what unconventional shirt number you'd have, or if you want to, you know, give us some suggestions or ask us any questions, you can find us on Twitter at the front free with the number free and not the word. Anyway, listen. Let's get on with it. Uh, the first thing we've got to talk about is the news. Full disclosure: we are recording this on a Monday night for various reasons. So it might be old news by the time you're listening to this, but we have to talk about Pedder Check. So Arsenal finally signed the 33-year-old after months of speculation, uh, reported £10 million fee. So Dave, I'll come to you first. Gunas fans, very happy at the moment. Erzgen-esque reactions on Twitter. So how big of a signing do you think this is for uh, for Arsenal? It's absolutely massive. You look at the last time they had a pretty decent keeper, Jan Delaney, you'd say... You know, they got to the Champions League final, they were performing in the league, they won the league in that time, they went on the unbeaten run. It's actually huge. You know, I've mentioned it, I think it's for the past, like, two seasons that I've mentioned that Arsenal need a top, top-class keeper. And in Petacek, they've got a brilliant keeper. You look at his stats, he's got the best saves-to-shot ratio in the Premier League at 78%. He's got the best minutes-per-goal conceded rate in the Premier League at 123 minutes-per-goal. And he has the best win rate of any Premier League goalkeeper at 66%. The guy is... You'd probably say a Premier League legend. He's definitely up there. Obviously, you mentioned before about his clean sheet record. You know, most in one Premier League season and then the most for a single club by any goalkeeper in Premier League history. He's fantastic. Uh, Lawrence, what about you? What do you reckon? Is this the, finally going to be the signing where, you know, we can say Arsenal are going to challenge next season? I know we say it every year, but, you know, signing check, goalkeepers have been a weakness for Arsenal for a long, long time. Yeah, they have been a weakness. Um, and, we, we, you know, we did speak in some sort of depth 
uh, about you know uh, the, the way that they need to create a unit and those kind of things. And you know, Joel said he wasn't really so convinced uh, whether he was going to be you know the best signing of the summer or whether he was even going to be some sort of revolutionary signing for Arsenal. I think he's definitely an upgrade on what they have. But w- what I would be interested to see is how he fits in with that backline as a unit. Um, and whether he manages as you know a goalkeeper and taking his own, taking bear in mind that he takes his own goalkeeping coach where he goes with him. So you know it, it's looked like he was on the cards to be there for a little while because Arsenal's goalkeeping coach I think left last week. Um, and basically, what I, what I, I want to acknowledge in this is you know his international record as well. Um, and I, I think it would be interesting to to see you know when he does have a changing front line or people who he aren't he isn't maybe so familiar with or maybe he's being attacked a bit more and you know obviously it's going to be a different style of defence at Arsenal to the one at Chelsea because they aren't as sturdy in the back or haven't been it'll be interesting to see how much of a factor the goalkeeper was in that and whether it's you know all personnel or just having a good guy behind them to organise them and read the game just as well you know because he was sat behind John Terry and Cavalier for quite a long time he was sat, sat behind quite a few good uh, partnerships and as you know he did do very well but I wonder you know what what was that down to I'm not I'm not doubting him but I'm just saying you know if, if there are questions to be asked then you know they're, they're, those are the angles we should be looking at. Uh, Dave what do you reckon or what do you make of all the behind the scenes um, aspects to this deal so obviously Jose Mourinho you'd imagine didn't want to sell Petacek to a direct rival and his public quotes kind of back that up but at the end of the day it seems Czech wanted to stay in London and Roman Abramovich was happy to sanction the move kind of as a almost a goodwill gesture to a player yeah. who was integral to so much of the success of the club in recent years so do you think you know Chelsea and you know Abramovich may regret this move or do you think it was the right thing for them to do to let him join you know a club who may well be challenging them for the title next season? It was a brilliant, you know, it was brilliant from Chelsea in a way. Peter Petacek's obviously been a fantastic servant, you know, letting him stay in, in London with his kids and his family. It's a nice thing to do, and we don't see that enough in football, you know, teams sort of paying players back for their service. But, you know, going back to that competitiveness, it's going to be a bit of a, you know, I think it's a mistake letting Petacek stay in the Premier League in terms of, you know, Mourinho knows that he's an absolute winner. He, he didn't want Czech in the Premier League for obvious reasons. Czech probably, you know, he's up there, probably top three goalkeepers. You look at uh, Courtois, David De Gea at the moment, Premier League goalkeeper, and Petacek. So you'd say they're the top three. So it's it's going to be interesting for Chelsea. It'll be quite, quite good if um, sort of Wenger beats Mourinho for the first time in the uh, Community Shield and Petacek sort of saves the day in that. It'll be quite interesting, but I do think it's a brilliant signing for Arsenal. Arsenal, yeah, and a very silly silly sale for Chelsea in a way. Can I just say that's utter bollocks, by the way? I mean, I, no, I'll say it's utter bollocks. I've just got doubts as to whether uh, how much of it is goodwill towards Petacek or they just couldn't stop him from leaving and realise that. But you can. Sort of surely went, well, surely uh, they could, they could stop him yeah. from leaving. They, well, they, they could have sold him. They could. They, they might have not sold it. Because you're not sold also, it. Yeah, but, it, but you know, I, I think essentially what we have to acknowledge here is that that's a wonderful bit of PR uh, from Chelsea and, you know, a number of people willing to back that up as opposed, you know, because he wasn't an integral member of the squad. They realised that they have to conform to FFP. They realise there are other pressures on them now. And he's probably quite a high earner within the squad in relative terms for saying he's not playing as much as, uh, you know, he, he would probably like to be. You, you know, Mourinho probably realises his influence at that point. If he didn't want to be there, maybe how that, you know, even though he is actually quite a loyal goalkeeper and, you know, quite a, a professional personality, how much of that's going to take away from the title challenge? And I think there's more to it. But basically, again, because it's Chelsea, they say it and we eat that shit up. We don't I, question I so We just go, oh, yeah, cool. Of course, no, of course, Roman Abramovich is going to give him a goodwill gesture. Yeah. 
I disagree. I disagree. They could have sold him anywhere. They could have sold him to Madrid. They need a keeper. They could have sold him to PSG. They need a keeper. Inter Milan may not need a keeper. AC Milan need a keeper. Potentially, you know, uh, their keeper was pretty dog last season. I think that they could have sold him abroad, 100%. You know, if someone like PSG could have come in with, you know, 16 million quid. You know, they could have sold him there. I think that it was a goodwill gesture. And I like to believe these stories, Lawrence, because it makes you feel think, better with your life. I think it's telling that. Petacek thanked Roman Abramovich after completing the move. I don't think you think it's telling that he thanked someone who's basically a dangerous criminal. <laughs> what a, what a <laughs> no, but, gesture! No, but yeah, I mean, oh, oh yeah, you're right. Well, and, you, okay, you're, like, you're, yeah. you seem to be questioning the fact that it was and, a goodwill it, gesture, right. regardless alleged, of regardless of uh, regardless of Roman Abramovich's man. personality. But you know, the player himself came out and said, "I spoke to Mr. Abramovich about staying in the Premier League." I'd like to thank him for his support in the matter. So I think, you know, that sort of says it all, really. No, we do. It's a charade. And we, 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 I think very often we do eat it all up because, you know, people, people are more than happy to play into that sometimes. And I, you know, I, I'd I just argue don't think that we, we don't. I'd argue that we don't. Most of the things Mourinho says, people don't eat up and they always do take with a pinch of salt. The famous one I'm thinking of last season when he said, you know, or the season before, sorry, when he was saying his team are like a little horse, you know, and everyone was just like, he's talking rubbish. But that's not the important thing. It doesn't matter. That's the whole point. Is Marie, it's, it's like being a magician. He's waving over here going, look, we're a little horse. But they're not questioning the important things. Okay, I see what you're saying, but I don't see how that's related to this in terms of it's almost got nothing to do with Mourinho, this one, saying it's a goodwill no, gesture. But, but, but I'm saying the overall image of the club is one that has very much been shaped by Mourinho and mm. the perception is of people in, in powerful positions, men in powerful positions, people who won't question a Russian billionaire, but people who will question the, uh, the, the very same billionaires from another country and whether they know about the culture, etc., etc. And I, I do think there's an element of... Um, I, fear around the, the the hierarchy at Chelsea. Well, that's what I'm saying. They I do, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I'm, I'm, I'm no, saying you don't, is you don't sound that one. You don't sound that one. That's cool. No, what uh, I'm saying is, we should question these things, like, or, or at least say, you know, was it a goodwill gesture, or you know, it, does he just have to say, you know, does he have the same face of the club in order to get the move that he wants? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I, I prefer to take the less cynical view, but, um, yeah, but, but I see why. Just yeah. say, I like this view, therefore I'm going no, to... No, but I'd say, the, for me, on this in this particular case, the evidence points to, you know, let's take it at face value. I'd Men say, involved have said this, therefore it is. Yes, yes. Right. Yes. I agree, Lawrence, I agree. So, we're going to move on to uh, Sergio Ramos. Now, this is another, this could be all a conspiracy because, you know, they're saying, uh, you know, this could all be a, a manufactured story to get Ramos a new contract at Real Madrid. But at the time of recording, Sky Sports, that ever reliable uh, source, uh, reporting that he's told Real Madrid he wants to leave after Manchester United made a £28.6 million bid. So this one's been rumbling on for a week or so now. I know you guys talked about it last week in depth, but, you know, is is this going to happen now? It seems like it's getting ever increasingly. It's gone from some, you know, spurious rumor to okay, it's looking pretty likely now. I think that it probably. I don't know. I'm so it's fifty fifty right now for me. Either he'll get a new deal this week or he'll sign for Man United, and that's how it's either going to go. Because it's, it's interesting that all of the stories that are coming out of Spain, you know, it's all that he's fallen out of with the president, and you know, the pro Madrid papers are not. 
they're not spinning it in a way that you know we need to keep Ramos. You know what a player. It's, it seems more like the relationship with the club is beyond the. It's, it's gone beyond the point of return. Beyond, and, beyond repair in a way. Exactly. Say. Yeah, and you know this player is going to leave. You know the the fan polls in in Marker were sort of saying you know the they prefer to see him gone. They prefer to see the back of him. You know the he's been painted as this player who's not loyal and is kind of you know. <laughs> Not fighting for the badge is what they've sort of been suggesting. So I'd, I, I can't see how it is a play for a contract when all aspects of the media are sort of reporting it in this fashion. You know, they're reporting it in the way that it is gonna, it is gonna happen. I mean, Lawrence, what, do you think if it does happen that it's a good move for Manchester United? He's, he's twenty nine years old, Ramos, for twenty eight point six million pound, almost thirty. Is that? Is that good I was business? Say, I, I guess that's what I'm questioning here: is are there better options for United? But it, it does it does seem a little bit of a quick fix to me. I mean, I know a quick fix, mm. but it would if he was a more reasonable price. I guess it wouldn't seem like such a quick fix. I feel like anything over thirty seems a bit exorbitant for a player who's twenty eight, twenty nine, hasn't really played outside of. Um, his country on a consistent basis and at times when he's joined teams who also look like they're very low on confidence which is arguably not this side um, then you know that there have been question marks um, over his mentality etc so yeah I, I think there are there are still question marks there's no t- no doubting what he can do at his peak but I think there are doubts around Ramos when it you know when the there are other things going on. Let's put it that way. And so, I mean, someone on uh, someone on another show I was on last week said, um, you know, he he dragged Real Madrid to the Champions League final, and I thought, yeah, he really dragged a side full of multi-million pound players. Whoa, 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 whoa. Lawrence, Lawrence, look at the goals. So, so Real Madrid were winning. Were one nil on aggregate up away at Bayern Munich. He scored two goals in the, thir- the first thirty minutes from headers from corners. In a way, that is showing what you can do you know fair enough that they won 4-0 in the end of the game but you've got to get that lead in those games you've got to get I mean, the lead you know, he's fair enough. Enough. You know yeah, I, he has he has he's, he's carried them at times defensively 100% but this is what I'm saying Dave it, the, the, look at that though what do you really want I mean I know he's a great player and he is, he is a good player but does that make him worth 45 million pounds I'd say no. I'd, I'd agree with you that he doesn't. He's definitely, you know, at his age, he's not worth 45 million. You should be looking to sign young players at the moment. I'd always go down the line of signing young, talented players, bringing them through the club and going that way. But like you said before, it's, it's quite a good quick fix in terms of defenders. You know, he's probably top five defenders in the world, like I mentioned last week. I, I, you know, I'd like, I'd like to sign him. I also, going back to just thinking of, you know, friends again in Madrid mentioned second shout out they're going to get this this season of, of uh, or this season break. Um, they they speak of him as quite a basic player. He's quite a basic chap off the pitch. So maybe that that now he has come out and he has said that he wants to go, he will actually go through with it. You know, that could be a definite angle down it that he's quite a basic lad, committed. You know, he's fallen out of the club. That's it. It's over. The relationship is gone. Well, I also find that very interesting. I mean, I you know that that. It's it's not worrying in that sense, but I mean, he, for someone who's played a very long time at a at a club, you wonder why he's so adamant to leave. Mm, I agree, Dave. Um, the um, the Schneiderlin deal is the other deal. This kind of another one that's been the last week or so. You know, on the verge of happening, people are reporting. So you know, if Manchester United sign Memphis Depay, Morgan Schneiderlin, and Sergio Ramos. Potentially before the transfer windows even open officially it. on July the first. I mean, are you happy with that business? It's, so far? Ab- it's absolutely brilliant business. I think Morgan Schneiderlin 
Um, he's one of the. He's probably he's he's now becoming rated, but before you know the start of last season, he was probably one of the most underrated midfielders in the Premier League defensively. And I think that's what what United need is a defensive midfielder that can win tackles, that can intercept the ball, and that's exactly what Schneiderlin can do. If you're looking at the sort of system that we played last season, it would probably work really nice if we had Carrick sitting, Schneiderlin as sort of the left centre midfielder, and then Herrera on the, the right hand side. Um, that would be absolutely perfect. You know, you've got you've got you've got Schneiderlin to cover Depay. Depay is a player that likes to stay wide on the counter attack. You've got to have someone to do his running, and, and Morgan Schneiderlin can do that. What another thing that he's improved, his games improved in the last few seasons is goals. I think he scored he scored um, four goals this season in the Premier League. That's the same amount that he's managed in the two previous seasons combined. Not a massive deal, not a massive amount of goals that he scored, but it shows his improvement that he is getting into the box a bit more and potentially playing him. Not as the holding midfielder. I think Carrick's got that slot, that slot absolutely down if he's fit. Schneiderlin can come in and play a pivotal role. It may be more of an attacking sense that we've we'd, we'd seen at Southampton. Obviously, he's, uh, at Southampton, he sort of sits next to Wanyama or he sits next to another defensive midfielder. But maybe it's really interesting. You know, this United side is going to be good next season, I'd say. It's just going to be who's actually going to come in. They're the big questions at the moment. Schneider looks like he's on. Ramos, maybe. Depay. If we sign those three, that is... One hell of a window for Man United. That's a, that's a better window than we've had, you know, for the last four windows. Would you say where we're getting ripped off at these high yeah. prices? Very, the likes of Di Maria and that, you know. Very yeah, you're not signings. overpaying for Ramos. <laughs> it depends. I, I've heard I've heard <laughs> under thirty million. I've heard twenty eight or twenty nine million today that was offered. Yeah. If it gets to forty five, we are getting ripped off one hundred percent. These days, you know, for Manchester United, twenty twenty eight million. I mean. Probably fair enough for Ramos. Slightly over the odds, but yeah, that's the way. That's the place we're at at the moment in the transfer market. Um, still on United, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger's apparently sort of played down any move to to Old Trafford. Sort of saying he wants to win a fourth straight league title with Bayern Munich. So that could be the the end Pretty of that. Sure. Those rumours yeah. stop dead. Um, Dave, what do you make of the apparent interest in uh, Seamus Coleman? This was something that came about. On the weekend, again, Sky Sports um, saying that Manchester United are interested in signing the Everton defender. Obviously, right back is a little bit of a weakness for, for United. They were playing Valencia there last season. Uh, Raphael sort of seems to be almost surplus to requirements. So, I mean, do you think Seamus Coleman's the man who can, can come in and sort of make that position his own? Uh, yeah, well, definitely. If he came in, he's a brilliant player going forward defensively. Uh, potentially, he might have questions there, but he's very tenacious. He gets up and down the, the, the wings very well, which we've lacked um, someone that can sort of put the yards in since probably, you know, Patrice Evra left last season. I do think he, you know, potentially could be exposed in Europe. You know, he's not been tested out in the Champions League, um, potentially get targeted that way, but he is a fantastic individual. I would have preferred. Klein, but obviously we'll probably talk about the Liverpool stuff later on. Um, but Seamus Coleman definitely, in terms of his goal and assist output, he's, he's, I think he's just behind Leighton Baines in terms of the last two seasons in that output. So he's a good player, you know, he can, he can beat a man 1v1. He'll give us an attacking option down that side, which will be good. It's just interesting, it seems like we've, we've, we're in, half interested in some players and then we back off when the deal's going through. I don't know whether that's just the media playing and having a bit of fun. You know, I think he'll be a good, very good player. Another point, though, quickly, just Raphael. Yeah, he's only twenty-four. Mm. He's crazy. Like, why? Why? Obviously, Van Hal. Do, do you rate him? Do you rate him? I think I think Raphael's a very, very good player when he gets his his run of games. I think in that 2012-13 season where he won the Premier League, he was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. But it's his fitness that is letting him down. Um, and under Moyes, Moyes didn't like him, 
and now uh, LVG comes in. When Raphael's played, he's, he's been pretty decent, but he's been injured, and that's the problem. And obviously, one big thing that I remember was um, Raphael, actually, I think he got sent off against Bayern, against LVG's Bayern Munich a few seasons ago. Maybe Van Hal doesn't trust him. I'm not sure. From the one memory that he has, despite seeing him training more recently. Oh, I remember when you got sent off a few years ago, mate. I no, 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 no. I think, I think Van Hal's one of those players where you're either you're, he's happy with you, or one thing will just turn him, and that'll be it. And there's no coming back from that. And that's, I think, how the, that relationship's going. Finally, managers have that, yeah. finally on United, uh, Phil Jones has signed a new contract until 2019. Good news, Dave. Well, not that oh, it's, it's fantastic. You know, he's you know, a young English player. I think he needs to develop. You know, there's a lot of you know, a lot of the things happen this season in terms of him uh, getting caught out of position and so forth. You know, the moment against Arsenal where he did the fish. You know, he's got to work on that. He's got to be better than that. He's got to be more composed. You look at the top centre, young centre halves in world football. They're composed. They know what's going on. Phil Jones just needs to bring that into his game. I think Phil Jones definitely has more potential than Chris Small in 100%. But I think Phil Jones, again, like Raphael, needs a run of games and he needs to be in the team for a whole season. Which, you know, it's said in the media so much. He needs to just do it and it's got to be this season. But also, tactically, I like that we've kept him on. Obviously, he did a, did a pretty good job against Gareth Bale a few seasons ago. You know, Fergie used to use him as a uh, central midfielder to some avail, so yeah, I like him. Don't like him at right back. Like him at centre back or central midfield. But, there you go. Um, Speaking of right backs, uh, Liverpool are set to sign Nathaniel Klein from Southampton for around twelve point five million. That'll probably be done by the time you're listening to this. So, uh, Lawrence, as the resident Liverpool fan, how are you feeling about this deal? Yeah. N- nothing. Which yeah. deals am I not supposed to be happy about? <laughs> well, I mean. No, I just, you know, what's your reaction to Nathaniel Klein? Are you overjoyed, overcome with just uh, pure emotion that he signed for Liverpool? Uh, Liverpool, Liverpool? Liverpool fans have been looking, yeah, overcome with pure emotion about signing Nathaniel Klein. Liverpool fans have been looking for a right back for quite some time. Probably since Arbor left, I think. Um, mainly because, you know, Glenn Johnson has uh, showed spurts of going forward well, but never been defensively solid. And, you know, really, at time, he covered for that because he was so attacking that he pushed people back. And it basically meant that it was very difficult um, for other teams to, to play against that. So they always needed to, um, they were always pushed back. But it, against teams that exploited it, it always made it very difficult. Um, and I'm interested to see, especially, I mean, David, I don't know what you think about the stats with Nathaniel Klein, but, you know, kind of, um, his successful tackle, etc., but also how well he gets forward, how quickly he gets the ball out of defence, all those things, I think, make him a Brendan Rodgers uh, system kind of guy. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a fantastic signing. United should have gone in for him, really, to be honest, to solve their right-back problem, but obviously he's gone to Liverpool. It's nice to see Liverpool getting players like this. Obviously, I love the rivalry between United and Liverpool, obviously, you know, the history and that type of thing, but in terms of stats, I think he's He's attempted more tackles than any other defender in the Premier League last season, which is it's quite you know it's that's a, that's a good stat to have. You know, he, he attacks. You know, if, if a player's got the ball and is running at him, he'll go for them and he'll try and win the ball off them. I think he's very very good at going forward. He could probably improve his assists. He'd say that and his chance his, the chances that he creates. Quite good at whipping a ball in. I think he's brilliant. His tax, tactical flexibility is what's what Brendan is going to love. Obviously, last season for Southampton, he played a sort of in a either they were playing a four-three-three or a four-two-three-one. He was playing properly right back, or they were playing a three-five-two and he was playing right wing back. You know, Brendan likes his flexible players, and and Klein has that. Young, talented, quick, a brilliant signing. In other transfer news, uh, Tottenham 
look like uh, starting to get rid of the dead weight, as it were. They've sold Paulinho to, going to have a go at this, Guangzhou Evergrande, the, uh, the Chinese Super League side, for 9.9 million, which is not a bad return on the, uh, the 16 million or so that we spent on him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not a bad return and that's how you rate a player this my friends is football the, the, the Ozil-esque reactions I mentioned about Pedicek earlier were uh, matched by Spurs fans who were equally happy to have seen the back of Paulinho they were loving it how have you got that you know what, guys? how have you done it I, I, yeah, I have exactly. no idea. It's um, you know, brilliant. Well, it, well, it's probably from the fact that you've never fucking played him. Is part oh, of the problem. Yeah, I don't mind Paulinho. To be honest, I feel yeah, like I he, don't mind him he either. Didn't, he didn't get much of a chance last season, so it feels harsh to sort of say you know he was a complete uh, failure. But it seems like it seems like we are trying <laughs> You're talking to talking such shit. We are trying to. You're talking such shit. Well, so ten million's not a bad return on a player that never played. No, no, really, considering that's what... that you know we spent sixteen on him and then he uh, never really played. I'd, uh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. A fairly good return. It feels harsh to for the Spurs fans <laughs> acting like we just we've just uh, a lot of good business. Twitter acting yeah. like we've you know we've done some incredible deal. It's the it's Levy not... way, you know. Buy them high, sell them low. We're uh, planning on doing it with a few other players. Actually, it's good business. Good yeah, business. I, yeah. I would say it's never good business to have lost six million on a player within two years. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not the best business I've ever I'm seen. Spent really high amounts on his wages. <laughs> I think it capitalizes how poorly, you know, we spent that bail money two years ago. I still can't get over it because I remember when we were signing all these players. And the the media was sort of hyping us up as title rivals. Brendan Rodgers was having his go, eh? Brendan Rodgers saying if you spend 100 million, you should be winning the league, yeah. yeah. Which uh, obviously he didn't He's quite live up to. But um, yeah, so Paulinho's gone. Roberto Soldado is apparently in talks over moved to Galatasaray. What it's, a profit you're making on him. Yeah, well, that's going to be some loss, I'd imagine. That's going to be at least 10 million loss. At least 20, yeah. At least 10, <laughs> but more likely 15. <laughs> Oh, you God, know what, guys? Could be, I'd, could be terrible, I'd say we, we burned a good 15 million there, but it was a good 15 million. Yeah, yeah. I, d- I don't think that'll get quite the same reaction on, on Twitter. But uh, yeah, Etienne Capoue as well is up for sale. Vlad Churikes. Um So it kind of looks like Christian Eriksen was the only really undoubted success that we signed. I mean, Nasser Chadley obviously has done fairly well. You know, last season he, he, he scored a lot of goals, made a lot of assists. Eric Lamella, not so much. He did score one Rabona in <laughs> off-season, which people loved. But, that was um, worth 10. Yeah, that's at least 10. And he's bringing up for sale. He's the most expensive signing in Spurs history, Eric Lamella, £30 million. Just unbelievable, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, it's not, not going too well for Spurs at the moment. The good news is that we're apparently in for Benteke again. You know, it was a player I've been saying we should sign for a long time. Apparently, we're going to offer up... Emmanuel Adebayor as a make weight in the Ooh, deal. You know. who, who wouldn't want Adebayor, is all I can say. Villa would be mad to turn that down. Um, I've, I've heard Liverpool are offering uh, Ricky Lambert and Fabio Barini that was as the part other of an exchange deal. Today. Yeah, but then you've also got people saying Barini's going to West Ham. So it's all, you know, the, the rumour is in in overdrive at the moment. Even though I'd love, not... I'd love to see Barini do well. Um, but Barini, yeah. you know, Barini's done very little wrong, and Liverpool, Liverpool as an institution, has has done him badly. I think. What do you make of people saying he could have left last summer, but didn't want to take a cut in wages, and maybe should have just swallowed that cut in order to go and play first team football somewhere instead of sitting on the bench for a whole season? Uh, I, I think. 
uh, there's some people out there who are very judgmental, and I, but I think that you know to some extent they have a point. If he does want to make his career better, then you know he's he's more than entitled to leave and try and get first team football elsewhere. But he's also entitled to say to the club, you know what, I want to stay and try and earn a place back. So, uh, you know, if if you offer him a contract which lasts however long, and then he 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 takes you up on that, don't get pissed off when he does it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it's not his fault that he was earning that much money. So no. Yeah, um, well, no, you know, I mean, if you if you make him sign a four year or however many year deal, don't be angry when he then goes, yeah, I think uh, I think I'll stay. Jog, <laughs> jog my memory. Who was the ultimate player who did that? The Chelsea player who escapes my memory. John Terry. No, the one he sat Paolo on the bench. Pereira? No. I want to say. I want oh. to say Bogard. No, I want to say Ferreira. I want to say Winston. Yeah, Paulo Ferreira. Oh. No, mate, it's Winston Bogard. Do you remember? Is Winston it? Bo- do, you, do, you, do you not remember Winston Bogard? Yeah, he spent four uh, years at Chelsea. He spent four years at Chelsea. Um, they hardly played. He was on forty grand a week, so he became the classic, uh, you know, player <laughs> who sits on the bench and earns his money and got a lot of stick for it but he always said you know he always sort of said it wasn't wasn't my fault you know <laughs> i was just sitting there <laughs> you know not, not my problem basically you know um, well yeah, I, he, I don't know if he's saying that but i think we do also have to, uh, to acknowledge you know it's a career as well and you know people yeah. have their own lives to think about and you know uh, it, it's the business of football you know you, you can't you've got to take the rough with the smooth and Fabio, I feel Fabio Barini was very harshly treated by the club and the staff um and you know some people in the press as well so Good luck to him. Yeah, apparently, well, I'm just going back to Bogart there, but yeah. Uh, he's regarded by many as the worst signing to have been made by Chelsea. Ever. Oh, okay. So they... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving oh, on. Sorry, my, uh... connection, my connection went there. Um, so, is there any other transfer no... I'm not going to say that again. So, transfer is there any noise? other transfer news you guys want to discuss? Anything you've um, heard that you want to... Arda Turan? Of... Turan possibly on his way yes, to... Uh, like well, that. anywhere in the Premier League would be good. Well, apparently the favourites actually are Paris Saint-Germain. So, mm. Arda Turan came out on Twitter um, a few days ago and sort of said he is in talks, or you know, his agent in talks with three or four clubs. Uh, one of them is assumed to be Paris Saint-Germain. The others are potentially Manchester United, Chelsea. One of them also maybe AC Milan. So, nice. Dave, what do you make of Arda Turan, and do you reckon he'd be a good signing for for United or any one of these clubs? I like him. He's a really he's a really technically very very good player, and he works very very hard for Diego Simeone. And yeah, I just think he's a fantastic team player. Like you, you want him in your team. He's a sort of one of those water carriers, but he plays wide. But then technically, he's really good. Can beat a man. Um, can you know create a chance out of nothing? Very just gifted. Very very gifted. But it's an interesting. He's twenty eight. You know, I don't know if Atletico are going to get that much money for him. If he went to PSG, that would be quite an interesting fit. You know, they do need workers in their team. They've got a lot of, lot of sort of, you'd say, flair players. And they need some... They've got Matuidi that does a lot of graph. But I think having someone like Arda Turan would be a very, very, very intelligent signing for them. Lawrence, any point. thoughts on Arda Turan? Maybe to PSG? Um, maybe. Well, yeah, sure. Um, I'm That's still the him. He's the favourite PSG had to sign him. I'd rather see him in the Premier League. Um, I'd, I'd love to see him at Liverpool, see how he is as part of a back line. I'd love to see him partner a couple of guys back there. Um, and, you, you know, I'd love to see the way, the way his style fits into the league. Um, I think we need to see more people, like, uh, with, with that kind of, I don't, I don't want to call it flair, but sort of that, that approach. And I'm wondering whether, the, like, it's a, 
uh, Ramos and Turan coming from La Liga mm. would be yeah, a good a good addition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, date, yeah exactly. I thought Turan was a, a bastard. Yeah, which is great. You need more. You need more of those in the Premier League. We're, running, we're not. We're not uh, stop, saying ba- stop saying bastard. Why? Because it's it's offensive. <laughs> to you? Yeah. Uh, as a bastard, yes. Uh, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's offensive to all us bastards, all right? Bastards. Yeah. It's just, I, I feel that that word is so far removed from its actual meaning that surely it's. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, how many people know the literal meaning of the word bastard? Exactly. Um, so, all right, let's yeah. move on, you bastards. Let's go on to the questions. Whoa, oh, speaking oh, of bastards, so... Phil Neville's gone to Valencia, or at least he's on his way. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Hold on a second. <laughs> Phil, Phil Neville, TV's Sorry, ultimate Phil. bastard. <laughs> Whoa, will you leave Phil alone? He's, he's going there, and it'll be, it'll be great for his coaching development to go to a foreign country. I think it's a fantastic move. Yeah, uh, I've, got like... a lot of, I've got a lot of admiration for him. I, like I, I, you know, I really like Phil. I'm, I've got nothing again. I've got nothing. I was just, it was a you joke. did just it call was, him a bastard. It was an <laughs> <laughs> no, against him, the bastard. But no, he's um, so he's going to Valencia, assistant manager from next yes, season. Exactly. What do you think, Lawrence? You, you think this is a great move, as Dave's saying? He can expand his his footballing horizons. I'll put it this way: I think it's a better move for Phil than it is for Valencia. Yeah. <laughs> you summed I, I, it up no. perfectly. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Um, uh, I'm sure, he's a lovely guy. So, um, I think that's so, it for transfer news. I mean, unless there's anything well, better than his coat. That's it. Oh, Firmino. We, 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 yeah, we, we only mentioned. I thought you mentioned him last week, did you? No, we mentioned it, but we didn't say where he was going. Um, oh, uh, yeah, uh, what I enjoyed oh, was the yes, yes, yes. interim, where basically um, he. Just... He he signed for Liverpool, and they they basically looked at his style and how it fits in with Brendan Rodgers. I think it's a fairly good um, uh, analysis that he's you know he's high pushing, he's pressing, he's high intensity, and I think that's what we were saying as well. So he's a fantastic player, really is. Going back to um, you know we mentioned last week about his direct involvement in goals for Hoffenheim over the last two seasons. He's directly involved in thirty six percent of their goals in the last two years. We know about his attacking ability, but what Lawrence mentioned there is his pressing style. He's won 50 tackles in the opposition half in the last season. Only one player in Europe's top five leagues made more. That's Marco uh, Parolo from Parma. Then you go, you go in the next sort of metric you're looking at in pressing and you look at interceptions in the opposition half. He's made 28 of them. That's a pretty good return for a forward. You're looking at Victor Sanchez from uh, Espanyol. He's on 51, top in Europe. Obviously, Firmino's a bit further down the list, but that is really, really good. You know, they're really good ball-stealing stats. You listen to anyone from you know that watches German football regularly talk about him, and he's a ball stealer. Then you go a bit further, steals the ball, bang, counter attack. Going on to more stats, look at Hoffenheim. They scored ten goals on the counter attack last season in the Bundesliga. No team in Europe top five leagues has managed more. That's fantastic for Liverpool. Liverpool was so good when they came second about hitting people high up the pitch on the break. You know the Barcelona turnover, the turnover when you can't do anything because. They've got three attackers versus your two defenders because they've nicked the ball in midfield. And that's what Firmino will absolutely bring to them. You look at his goal in the German Cup against Dortmund, just broke down the right-hand side and chipped the keeper. It was fantastic. And I do think, you know, Man United fans that are now coming on Twitter saying, oh, we never wanted Firmino, we never wanted him. We're gonna, you're going to see this season that he is a fantastic player. One thing that you can question is in terms of his, his you know, adapting to Premier League football. Hoffelheim has about 3,000 inhabitants, so it's quite a small place. You know, going to Liverpool, a massive, massive city. Will he be able to sort of adapt to Liverpool? I think so, 100%. I really think he's going to be a star of the Premier League this season. Yeah, yeah Liverpool's a massive city. <laughs> uh, interestingly, uh, 
Firmino is now the second most expensive signing in Liverpool's history. Torres, Firmino. Quiz question, who was number one? Torres. Andy Carroll. Andy Carroll, Lawrence. Oh, it's Uh, Torres, guys. We don't remember Andy Carroll. Come on. (laughs) But no, but who? Okay, if you're forgetting Andy Carroll, who was the third most expensive then? First was Andy Carroll, second Firmino. Who is the third most it's expensive? Firmino. There's no H in his Sorry, second name. Sorry, Firmino. Who is the third most expensive signing in Liverpool's history? Whoever gets it first No, it's not. Lawrence, care to guess? Uh, is it, Okay, let me just quickly... Don't Google it. it was it Torres? It was Adam Lallana. Oh, oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. We paid more for Adam Lallana than we did for Fernando Torres. Yeah, you paid twenty of Atletico Madrid. <laughs> you paid twenty million for Torres. You paid twenty-five for Adam Lallana. Southampton captain, it. I should add. I think what we're all yeah, what, yeah. Well, no, good point. Good point. Yeah. But what we're all we're all missing here is it's a different market now, isn't it, Adam? You've also got Dejan Lovren, Lazar Markovic, and Stuart Downing in the top ten. So you know, it's almost as you know, it's it's still better than Tottenham's top ten. I'll, I'll, I'll give you I that. I think it shows the fantastic savings that Liverpool have managed to make. Down the great the deals they've done. Yeah, that that twenty million loss on Andy Carroll, great business. Anyway, yeah. let's. Uh, Paulinho, go fuck yourself. <laughs> he said it not me. Uh, so there we go. There's a, a transfer roundup for you there. Pretty comprehensive. That was pretty bumper. That was forty minutes of uh, of transfer chat. So um, after this, we'll move on to the questions. So here we are with the questions then. We put the broadcast out on Twitter earlier. Some great questions flying in from everyone. Um, hundreds, thousands of, uh, of comments flying in, uh, at least. So um, In my most, mind. Andrew Gulin has asked about six questions. About I, 90 questions in, of those. In, yeah. the, in the interest of fairness, I'll only ask one. Um, Andrew Gulin wants to know, have Liverpool done the best so far in the transfer window? Having talked of Firmino there, they've signed Danny Ings, they've signed James Milner, who could forget Adam Bogdan, who they've also signed. So, Lawrence, do you think they've, they've had a good transfer window so far? Uh, the window's not even open yet, is it? Although, exactly. isn't it open the day we release this? It's yes, open. July the 1st. So, technically, it is open now. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Yeah, for the signings, the money I've spent, I'd say that's a fairly it's a good start. I, I'm always going to stay with start. that. It's, it's a good start. It's not, you know, they've got to make some more signings. Maybe two more signings this summer, I think, for Liverpool. And it will be a reasonable um, window. I still don't think it's as excellent as a couple of other people. Reasonable. I mean, United. Yeah, reasonable. Okay. I, you know, I think Firmino, I, I, I don't think we can rate Firmino yet. Um, well, what Because about? he's, from, he's okay. from Hoffenheim. Klein as well, potentially added him. Uh, Klein is a good addition because, you know, Liverpool have really lacked at right back. Um, I think, you know, it will also be judged or Liverpool will also be judged on the sale of Sterling in the the transfer window and if they sell him or if not. Um, And I also think if they do sell Sterling, then they'll probably be judged on the players they bring in to, in inverted commas, replace said player Um, or the players they use, they get to buy the money with. So, yeah, let's see. That's what I'd say. Let's see. Um, next question is from German Chikas Jr. At Chikas Jr. Dave will send this one to you. Is Gerard Delefeu, is that how you say his name? Delefeu. Delefeu. Watch a lot of the league, dear. Is he a good signing for Everton? I'd say yes. I think he was very good when he was at Everton. Uh, he looked very 
promising. He, I think he, he scored a goal that drew a game with Arsenal where he you know, just came on. Absolutely fantastic goal. In terms of this season, it's not really worked out for me. He's been at um, Emirates Sevilla and it's, he's just not really... He got in the team at the start of the season, but then he just dropped out and he didn't, I think he played one game in the last like, 18. Uh, you know, his, his ret- statistical return isn't bad. Five assists, one goal in 17 games. He likes to get a shot away, and obviously that can help Everton. Everton struggled a bit with goals this season, so that's you know a positive thing. He's a Roberto Martinez type player, and I think he'll he'll flourish under Martinez with a bit of freedom. Obviously at Sevilla they're quite compact, and the, the, the wingers have to do a lot of work, which didn't fit Delafeo at all. Definitely under Everton, you know, he's, I, I liked him when he came to the Premier League. He was a nice, you know, short, technical player. Obviously a lot like him to Lionel Messi. Obviously he's not going to be Lionel Messi. But he's a good player, very good player for Everton, very good signing. Excellent. Um, great question here from Luka Kolakusic. What is it? Dream Shake. He says, um, make a prediction. Which club is next to win Serie A besides Juventus? And when will it be? Mm. That is a great question. A very tough mm. question as well. Because that is a team that dominates the league. Have Inter um, made enough additions? Um or are they making enough good? I mean, you know, Mancini's putting together a squad here that I don't, I don't know what level it can achieve, you know? I, yeah, the thing is, I, don't, I think Juve, they're probably going to win it again next year based on who they've signed yeah. so far, Manzuki yeah, and, yeah. and Kadira. So who's going to be the next one? It could be a couple of years down the line still. Um, Roma and Lazio are up there challenging, aren't they? I don't, feel like, I don't really feel like they pose any real... Do you not think um, Roma are ever going to quite... They're not going to quite push it over the edge, you know. It's just quite a challenge. Mm. They've always been nearly. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Remember, they always nearly win the title. I think they've won it once in the last twenty years or so. I obviously, don't quote me on that, but then that's in there. I think Inter Milan. I think AC Milan, and Inter Milan are obviously going to come back big. You know, Inter Milan have got um, as we mentioned, Roberto Mancini, what's it called, Mancini, sorry, in there. Obviously made a lot of different good signings. It's going to take a season for those lads to gel. But I think next year, Inter will, will challenge for the title 100% and whether Milan, like we, you know, I, I love AC Milan, I love the history of the club. I'd like them to come back. They've made some half-decent buys so far. They've got to clear out a lot of rubbish, like the likes of Alex, who I think he's already gone and um, you know, there's so many players in that squad that aren't really AC Milan standard players for the old AC Milan. I think they will come back. Maybe AC Inter Milan next season, not this season, next season, and then AC Milan in two seasons' time. I'm going to go with bold so, prediction. So you're basically going for next one is Inter Milan in yeah. you know a season or so's time. Lawrence, yes. what are you going for? I that that was that's that was my first thought, and I'll probably stick with that. Inter Milan, yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. I think I'm going to go for. I think I'm going to say Roma, just because I'd like to see him win it. I don't, it's hard to hard to see past Juventus anytime soon, and like you say, Roma are the nearly men. But oh, it'd be good, wouldn't it? The way, yeah, well, it'd be so lovely. It was not going to happen before Totti retires. Is he's, he's, he's 38 now? I think he's 38. He's probably yeah. gonna, he's already going to retire after this season coming, isn't he? But 
would be lovely to see him win it. Um, next question is from Admiral Kizaru, who says, with Tottenham's improvements in defence, what do you think? Top four is realistic? Scoring goals isn't a problem for them, but conceding is. I'd say scoring goals is potentially a problem. You know, if Harry Kane gets injured next season, we're all, uh, we're all in trouble. Um, so yeah, Spurs have signed Kevin Vimmer, um, yep. who... Sure. I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, with those with him as the the improvement in defence, we're going to make the top four. I think there's a, a lot of improvements to be made throughout the squad. I mean, Jan Vertonghen, is a, he was a little bit hot and cold last season. Same with Fazio. Eunice Kabul, I've said, needs to get rid. So <laughs> I think, you know, there, there's still significant improvements to be made in defence, you know, let alone holding on to Hugo Lloris for next yeah. season. I don't, at the moment, I can't see Tottenham making t- top four next season with... Arsenal, strong as they are at the moment, like we're saying with Petr Cech. Manchester United, obviously, making some great signings. Manchester City, who haven't actually signed anyone yet, but are probably going to get at least Sterling and probably a few more. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it is a bit of a weird rebrand for City, isn't it? Going on of... just, well, just taking other people who, again, who already have an identity elsewhere and kind of trying to transpose that on. Yeah, well, they, they, just... they, they need to. They need to get some... Uh, some identity yeah they need to do something don't they um yeah i think tottenham are not going to finish in top four this season but i'll be happy with another season of uh progress under pochettino fifth or sixth and a europa league run and sort of build on that over the next few years and see what happens i can't be too uh overly optimistic about next season when all the other clubs are, are doing so well to to improve their squads but I'll try not to get too down about it. Faze uh, <laughs> Palwala says, who has the best youth system in the Premier League other than Southampton? Shout out to Pixel Dave. <laughs> that must be because of your appearance on Full Time Devils this week. I'm yeah, sure. I, I apologise. Terrible, terrible internet connection at my office. Um, there you go. Yeah, All right. I, I, I'm, who, I'm sorry. Uh, so sorry. who has the best youth system in the Premier League other than Southampton? I would suggest, uh, based on last season, maybe uh, Tottenham. We had quite a few academy grad graduates coming through Harry Kane Bentaleb Ryan Mason any other shouts for, for good youth systems in the Premier League you'd say Chelsea at the um, moment you know they've got that sort of generation of players coming through you know Salaki yeah. and those lads so yeah I'd say, I'd say at the moment Chelsea are doing very very well any shouts what about us? Crystal Palace um, Palace down the years have developed quite a few good young players mm. and have brought quite a few young guys through so not a terrible I know it's not of the same level but I mean it is is what they're developing for. So, you know, let's see. Liverpool don't have a terrible academy um, or record with developing youth. So, yeah, it's not, but although you know they've not had a great record with developing young young defenders. Um, and then, obviously, what about people like United? Yeah, you know, right the, now. The interesting thing, not not right now. I don't see obviously Pereira. I've mentioned before is going to be top this year. Uh, Paddy McNair, I've given a shout out to as well. Definitely going to, you know, come on with his game. It's just, it's interesting that we've not seen a lot of British talent. Obviously, Paddy McNair is British, but we've seen a lot of, you know, Brazilians that have come to United at a young age. It's, it's quite interesting, like what sort of going on. You know, Tom Fort was sort of, a, you know, brilliant player, captain the under twenty one side, coming through their youth team, and sort of let him go. So at United, it's a bit interesting at the moment. I'd say you've got to look up for Man City as well. Obviously, spending the bucks on it. Uh, they're brilliant sort of academy system. They got there. They've built a village for the players and that type of thing. But there's going to be no opportunity for those City players to get into the first team in the current style of Man City. So, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of 
decent, but Southampton is definitely like mentioned in the in the question that streets had at the moment. It's hard to see by Southampton, isn't it? I mean, Chambers, yeah. Lalana, Theo Walcott, Gareth Bale. You know, you've got James Ward Prowse now. Their youth system is pretty ridiculous, isn't it? Um, next question. Uh, Vuhandro Ortiz says, will we have a title race for the 2015-16 Premier League season? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. I mean, there's always a race. doesn't matter. <laughs> Even if people lag behind. I think it's going to be a good title race. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I think last season it was a bit of... Um, it was almost a bit of a foregone conclusion with City sort of rather limply giving up the title. So next season, United coming back stronger. Arsenal, yep. maybe finally giving it a go. Um, yeah, it should be should be a good one. Um, at Richard B, LFC says, in American sports, the only way to get players is free agency and trades. Yeah. Is um, this I, system the answer? Is this well, system the answer? Cap wages. Is this system the answer to the domination of money in football? Uh, yes, but it would have to be a worldwide system. And I think that's part of the fear, isn't it? Is mm. that uh, you, you, you know, because if you then do that in Europe and then say, um, you know, someone like Qatar decides that they just want to pump a load of money uh, into it, then what do you do then? Because yeah. then if players go, I just want to earn a load of money. Okay, cool. But then I guess if you're the best player in the world, I mean, I guess it's a problem, isn't it? Because Qatar might say to someone, you know, we we just want to buy you, bring you out here and make the best league in the world. And if they get one player and then they build it up over time, it might be interesting. But I think there's fear that that would be a kind of, um, uh, it, it works in theory, but, it, it, you know, it would be great if it um, it worked in other ways as well. The, 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 oh, the, the thing about the strength of the sorry the, the thing about the strength of the NBA is basically because they did it first they got ahead of yeah. everyone else and now the draw is to do that so it would you would have to be the first people to do it and get a lot of people on board who agreed with it but the problem being that you know we live in a very different system and you know the NBA and America offers a very different lifestyle to anyone else it's a whole continent agreeing to it essentially so yeah interesting um, Siraj Zubaidi very quickly, um, he wants us to give our chances of Arsenal winning the league next season. So on a scale of 1 to 10, right, okay. how likely are Arsenal to win the league next season? Dave, Should we put that in the bullshit bin? No. <laughs> no I'm kidding. <laughs> Dave, what do you that? I'm going to go for 6.5. Sorry, Ooh. not to use the extra decimal place, but yeah, I think they, they just need, they need to avoid the dodgy spell that they've shown for the past few seasons. They have a dodgy month or a dodgy two months. That's it. They avoid the dodgy months, then definitely, you know, they they could win the league. Lawrence, what are you giving it out of ten? Um, it's hard to look on Chelsea again, isn't it? Um, mm. I'd go for a seven myself. Uh, you know what? Yeah, yeah, but doesn't seven just seem like you're sitting on the fence and sort of like, yeah, mate? Oh, I mean, yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go for eight. Then. You know what? <laughs> I'm still sitting on the fence, mate. I want to hear like a ten or a zero. Do you know? Yeah, what I mean? <laughs> no sitting on the fence there. I'm going to go for eight. You've pushed me over the edge. Uh, you, yeah, Lawrence, you really pushed me over the edge. What an extreme life we live. Um, I'd say I'm going to uh, yeah, I'll go five. I, I'm, no, I'll go higher. Eight. No, nine. Five, that's no, seven. Sitting on the fence. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't matter, really, does it? I think what we need to look at is how competitive they become within the top four, and I think they will be very competitive. I think they'll finish above. The question would be, can they finish above where they finished last season? The answer is yes. 
Great stuff. Um, the next question uh, is, with their signings, are Southampton and West Ham and Swansea good enough to get European places next season? Dave, what do you reckon? Um, I'm going to say one club, yes. Two clubs, no. West Ham, no. I've mentioned before, Bilic, it's going to be a disaster at West Ham. Called it already. He's a terrible club manager with the resources that he's had under his belt. He's, brilliant. he's been brilliant at Croatia, won 65% of his games. But then you look at his win rates away from Croatia and club football, it's poor. So West Ham, no. They've signed Dimitra Payet, a 29-year-old, for 14 million. Crazy money. Um, Southampton, no, just because they're going to... They're, they're going to have an issue with, again, players moving in and out. Um, you know, they're still waiting to see what happens with likes of Schneidlin and probably other players that other teams will want to pick up. Uh, Swansea are the ones I'm going to go with that, could pretend that are going to push on this season. Gary Monk, I think, is a fantastic manager. Uh, he's really sort of brought Swansea together again. They've got Gilfie Sigurdsson that was fantastic last season. Um, you know, I think they're definitely the ones. They've made some, I think they've made some pretty decent signings so far. Uh, in the in the window, so I reckon they'll yeah, I reckon definitely Swansea. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Fair. Interesting. Andre Hayward. Brilliant signing. Um, Next. Next. Uh, Connor McDo. Connor McDo. Sorry. Sorry, Connor. Madonna. Connor Donna. Sorry, Connor. Um, Dom Dom said. Leicester finished fourteenth last season. But with the signings of Hoof, Okazaki, and Fuchs, can they push on and finish even higher? Yes. Boom. Yeah. Done. I give yes. it a nine. I give it I, a nine. I, I absolutely, I, you know, I'm a massive Nigel Pearson fan. I know people hate him, but I just like him. I love his style of football. It's just a football sense for me. Um, I think Okazaki, Okazaki, sorry, is an absolutely fantastic signing. Whenever I've seen him play in Germany, he just scores goals. He's a, you know, you. you uh, low centre of gravity, pretty pretty decent. Or just putting the ball in the back of the net, you know, perfect for Leicester if they're going to continue this front three. Obviously, brilliant signing. Oh, front three, Claxon. Nope. Uh, reinforcing their defence yeah, with nice. who? And then um, Christian. What was it? Christian. How would you say his second name? Adam. Sorry, lost it. Fuchs. Fuchs. Yeah, Fuchs. You know, Fuchs, a, a yeah. player that would fit their their wing back system. He's a, he sort of play at defender on the left hand side. He could play wing back, left back left midfield. So yeah, they're making some very good signings and I hope they do. Two more quick questions because we're approaching the hour mark. We want to move on to the talking points. Uh, at Kazola Assist says, what makes a player world class? Um, uh, good uh, question. They score, a lot, they, they score a lot of goals or they, they're, very, they're very good in their position. They probably play in a team where they are they achieving is. and yep. winning things. Um, Isn't world they, class always I assume to me was like a, a class above the, the rest as in the upper echelon of like the 10, 20, 30 just incredible world-class players. So what you're saying is what do we mean by the term world-class? I guess what we mean by is he could go anywhere in the world and he would he would retain his quality uh, because his quality player. seems somewhat innate to his game. Um, so, but I, I, you know, I, that's also a subjective thing. You know, I mean, a lot of people are saying, you know, can mess you on a Wednesday, etc. Um, there are probably good things he can do. There. It's what people value, um, and I think it's putting a value across. Maybe you know, I mean, if you go to different countries, you'll see different values in their sports, um, and in football, those sports tend to be um, dictated by Europeans. Speaking of which, you know, going abroad, you know, being able to maintain that that class—that's what makes you world class. Yep. At AVFC Connor 
has done a very long windy question here. I'll do my best to try and get it across. So, question I need answering by you guys that me and my friends have been arguing about for weeks. Yeah. So he says, ready. Okay, if you added Messi to a mid-table championship side, for example, Birmingham City, could yep. he win them the league? My opinion is yes, because he scored 58 goals and assisted 28 goals. That means he would directly have been involved in 78 goals. Not sure if the math's right there. Uh, that, that's a Birmingham City mm-hmm. and... <laughs> pretty sure it doesn't add up. Uh, that's Birmingham <laughs> City and their top goal scorers. For me, he would have won them the league. He would add so much to their team and he would win them the league. I guess what you're assuming there is that his movement would be appreciated and seen in the same way. Um, I would say... What you, you don't know, even have to assume is that he would not be surrounded by the same class of player. And although Messi is world class and an incredible talent and perhaps the best player we've ever seen, he does still rely on the 10 other players on the pitch the goalie, the defenders, the midfielders, exactly. even Neymar and Suarez to supply him them balls. And you know, when you're even when you're talking about assists, you're relying on Neymar and Suarez to be the, the incredible players they are to make those runs. So I would argue, Connor, that no, he wouldn't win Birmingham the league because he wouldn't be surrounded by the same class of players who even though he is an incredible talent himself he still needs those players of that quality around him in order to perform at his peak I disagree I think if you put Lionel Messi in Birmingham City they'd win the league massively (laughs) it's the Suarez effect okay so you you look at Liverpool when Suarez was there that season Suarez is probably you know top five players in the world Liverpool came second in the league I think when you're talking about Messi's assists, Messi could pick up, you know, you can put a ball on a sixpence. You know, he'll find these players and you'll... you'll it doesn't you'll matter if much... you put the ball on a sixpence to someone who's not in you you'll, know, you'll find, the You'll find, like, you, you know, so, Zigic. Nicola Zigic, who's not like, not at Birmingham anymore, but yeah, let's say Zigic and example. Messi are playing together, right? Nicola Zigic would probably score 25 league goals that season because <laughs> Messi would just pick him out constantly and it'd be fantastic. Obviously, you've got to look at the defence as well. That's a big factor. But I think when yeah. you've got these players of of that ability they 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 basically um give the rest of the players a massive boost so they just become but a bit surely, better that season but surely Messi, Messi as good as he's going forward he's not going to stop the Birmingham City backline yeah but but, but, but what but what, what Dave's saying is that it's the residual flotilla effect of having Messi there and I think you know it's not just the the direct effect of Messi out on the pitch it's also that you know the same it, it goes for I think Dave picks out a very good um actually a really good uh, case study in Liverpool having Suarez the difference is that you know when Suarez arrived at the club he wasn't known as a world class player and Liverpool did somewhat take his game a little bit further yeah, yeah. you could argue Definitely. that may have been that may have been because they bought him just before he hit the right age so you know they bought him at the right time either way they still became a world class player in that time um but the the point would be that he had a he had a, a big flotilla effect on the other players so mm-hmm. he made Coutinho a better player he made Sterling yeah. a better player he made Sturridge a better player it's the same as Thierry Henry at Arsenal you see the effect on Walcott you see the effect on the other young players who watch his effect they watch his ability and they almost try and mimic that or they try and take the best aspects of that and as a, the best managers will probably I, and that's why they talk about build a team around that i would i would agree with you to an extent but you are talking about Liverpool and Suarez. You know, I could mention Gareth Bale and Tottenham. He elevated them to, to fifth place yeah. in, in the Premier League. But the specific question he's asking, it's the, the specific hypothetical situation he's talking about is Birmingham City, who finished mid-table last season in the Championship. Do you think if he just plopped Messi in Birmingham's team, they would have won the championship. You know what? I, I, um, I appreciate what you're saying about most... how and a World Cup. Oh, yeah, yeah sorry. I, I misread that. I thought they were going to win the championship. 
If we're talking Premier League, it's a different kettle no, 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 of fish. The, the championship, yeah. I mean, the championship title last yeah, year. No, you know 100%. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. You yeah, say yeah, yes. I think, yeah, yeah, I think because, because you know, you look at the effect on Derby, you look at the effect on a number of other people who have had very short-term loans with very tenacious young players. And you think, well, what would happen if they put a Messi in there? Yes, I'd say yeah, no, like, but I, I thought that was a very good little discussion. Yeah, top and, question and a, and a very good question, very interesting question. Um, theory. Yeah, all incredibly hypothetical, but uh, interesting nonetheless. So there you have it for the questions. That's all we've got time for this week. If you want to submit more questions, you can do so on Twitter at the front free or to our personal Twitters, I guess. But you know, preferably at the front free. So they're all in one place. Um, after this, we're going to move on to the talking points. So. Here we go to wrap up the show, the talking points. Each one of us is going to give three topics that we kind of want to have a little discussion about. Lawrence, you're up first. Hit us. I covered Formula E at the weekend, which finished in London, was incredibly scintillating. Did you say E? Formula E, yes. <laughs> you know I love you, um, Lawrence. You know I love you. You know I love you. Are you loving E? Formula um, E, is Formula the, E. The yeah. Point, yeah, well, what's Sorry. the formula for E? Wow. Right? Um, the, 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 the really great thing about Formula E is... Uh, the, the marketing of it that they call themselves entertainment they don't necessarily call themselves um a a, net, a conventional race um and they've really looked at the way that other races have have uh, been you know institutions essentially and institutionalized and what negative effects that has and they've still effectively effectively they're still making money that you know they're, they're building a business and you can say well you know how green is it but uh, because you know they're flying around the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But at least what I got from it was that they are—they're effectively engineering an arms race within the motoring industry to develop better batteries, better longevity in the cars. You know, uh, how long, how much longer can they make tires run? How much better can they, more efficiently can they make a car run? How can they conserve energy? Those kind of things. And I think ba basically my question from that was uh, this: if you could, if you could. Not rebrand football, but if you were to reimagine it, and this is probably a bigger question than the end of this podcast, but if you were to reimagine it, what would you do in reimagining football that would make football a better and more enjoyable thing? Because I looked at Formula E know. and Formula One and the other things, and I saw families enjoying it. I saw rich people enjoying it. I saw poor people enjoying it. I saw all these different people in the park, and it made it so much more accessible and People still love the racing. They still had all the things they love about Formula One, apart from the power and those kind of the essentially the ego-based things. And they were promoting something that was green, something they were making something that would effectively be much better for everyone and making it into a branding exercise that, mm. you know, I know it's a big branding, virgins in it, all these different rich people are in it, but still there's something there which makes it a better place to be. It's a very big question. That's a very tough question. I mean, when you well, talk... I, I, this is a question for the, the commenters as well. Yeah. yeah, leave it in the comments below. But I'd be, I'd, what do you guys want? I think when you're talking about that sort of almost fostering that, um, I don't know, that atmosphere. Almost it sounds yep. like you're talking about. I think it is. Obviously, we talk about money being a problem in the game. I think it's easy to come back to, but I still think tickets, ticket prices, and all yeah, this sort I of agree. stuff. I think if if I think Premier League clubs should make a massive amount of tickets free for younger people every yes. season. And I think the, the atmosphere around the games and the whole, I don't know, the whole perception of the game would just change. Mm, what? It's, it's a good start. I would like for 
clubs that are developing young players. I'd like there to be a ban on players moving before they're 21 at every level. Ooh. I think that, you know, after you're 21, okay, you've, you've, you know, you've been taught there, you've learned there, you've given a bit back to the club. And I think that'd be quite nice in terms of, you know, you're looking at potentially some Eastern European nations, some uh, African nations that have some really good domestic teams and then the league could get more competitive. And again, going back to Adam, Adam's point of ticket sales and that type of thing, you're going to get more young people into the game in these, you know, whatever countries in England as well. And it's, it's more, I don't know, it's going back to the whole, the model where, you know, you, you, the team that used to support back in the day, like Man United, all the players had come from Manchester. Obviously, it's not like that, but I quite like the whole, like, you know, you you're defending your realm in a way. You're going out to perform for your, your fans in the local area. But I think that the cap on players being sold at that level would sort of bring that back a bit. That's what, what I would do anyway. Obviously, can't happen because it's money involved, but that'd be nice. Or, or at least a quota of how many need to be in the team. Because, you know, what I quite, what the, the, the counterpoint that I would have to that is that I actually quite enjoyed Liverpool having Spanish players like Pepe Reina, Xabi Alonso, Fernando Torres, mm. because those guys seem to understand the culture a bit. Yeah, and they, they all came after they were 21. I think that's the thing that they, all those players developed at uh, the, the club that they started at and then they moved on. And that's what that's what you can do. It's a free market. You can move where you want. But I think there's got to be a restriction of when you can move, like, you know, age-wise. Yeah, well, I thought that's why it was interesting that earlier mm. we mentioned trades and, um, and you know, yeah. caps and those sorts of things. I thought that would be quite an interesting theory in the, in the league. And maybe, you know, what Formula E has basically done, it said, you know, I, and I think, you know, they acknowledge and they seem like quite an open uh, leadership set, if you like. I, you know, I know I'm probably looking at a rose-tinted glasses, but at least let's try and be um, positive about it. I think, you know, something like trade, something like wage caps, those kind of things would be an interesting way to go. Also looking at maybe not accepting players um, before a certain age and therefore the draft system would work. You know, uh, how young can you bring a player in and how exceptional is that? Um, and then you know, making sure that people develop off the pitch as well as on it. Um, and I think the NBA and people in the States do it much better than people in the UK because they almost have a social responsibility, if you like. Barcelona mm. seems to do that. You know, they educate yes. their kids to a certain level. And I think that gets them um, a certain level of commitment, maybe sometimes, that means that they either want to repay them or, you know, they feel an affinity towards the club in a very real way. And, you know, I think that that's probably worth exploring. Um, because you know, then that means that when people pump money into the game, there's something which maybe could trump money, which is um, a, a much more long-term view. You know, if you educate people to a certain level, you educate them to a level where they become intelligent enough not to, or have the have the critical mind in order not to just need money. But you know, maybe I'm being idealistic. Great stuff. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, well, let's just end there then. Yeah, that's because uh, we can't move on to you know the, the the more important point, which is mine, obviously. No, I kid. Um, I just wanted to talk about the Women's World Cup. Basically, we have not, as far as I know, unless you mentioned it last week, we haven't talked about it once. Uh, go, go on then. But it's been on for a month, and we yep. haven't we haven't talked about it. Why do you think that is? Um, football and podcast. The world, literally, the World Cup is on. Yeah, we, we haven't even talked about. It. Have has, have either of you guys watched any games? A, a couple, but I think that's also part of it is that it's a completely different sport. Yeah, um, maybe that's <laughs> it. It is a completely different sport. Yeah, have you not been watching the England games? Um, some of I um I I got to be honest. I, you know, I I've quite enjoyed having a little break from just covering football as intensely. 
um, as normal. I think that's um, that's a good point. I do. I always look forward to as someone who does football work stuff. I do actually look forward to the summer in terms of having a break from football, so you can get excited about you know the preseason and you know when which, the new season comes around, you're excited to see football again. So exactly. exactly. Maybe I've watched like, it with a less critical eye and therefore not been able to really comment <laughs> on it on a podcast. Yeah. But um, Dave, you what, what, what would you like to say? Well, I, just, yeah. I was just wondering why. Uh, I was sort of wondering why us. We sort of touched on there, but so the Women's World Cup has actually got a massive amount of coverage. Um, I'd argue, uh, in what I've seen in the in the media, BBC aside, because BBC's obviously got the rights to it and they're they're pushing it hard, which is commendable. But um, there hasn't I, been but a, no, no, oh, commendable. Yes. They're doing the bare, you know, that's, that's the bare minimum, essentially. Uh, or, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. The bare minimum would be mentioning it, not yeah. giving it, you know, doing the highlights on and, and games on BBC One, doing highlights packages online every day. I see what you're saying. I just wonder whether we should be saying it's com- commendable. I mean, you know, the other day there was this article. Well, yeah, because in, the, um, the, it doesn't get the coverage. It doesn't get any coverage, the Women's World Cup, I'd argue, apart from the BBC who are, who are pushing it hard, which is a good thing. Yeah, okay. I, I think that, yeah, I see what you're saying. Please yeah. do. Uh, Dave, have you watched any of the England games or any as well? I've been struggling. Obviously, I've, I've worked full time for the massive Squawker Boys, and the thing that's been difficult for me this uh, summer is obviously the Copper America. I've wanted to watch. I've watched I've, I've quite a few of those games, but similarly with the Women's World Cup, the, those games have clashed, and they've also been on at sort of ridiculous times. Obviously, the yeah. game on Thursdays on at one o'clock. Uh, sorry, twelve o'clock kicks off. Um, it's difficult to work a nine to five and watch these things in my. My personal opinion, now I do, I do like women's football. It's you know, it's brilliant that the ladies are getting as far as they are. I used to actually coach women's football at, uh, at university, so you know, I'm massively oh, on that. Nice. Um, and you know, it's it's a fantastic thing. It's you know, bringing the nation together. But it's just one of those things where I'm finding it really difficult to watch to watch games. Obviously, with the copper and then with the um, under twenty, you know, the under twenty ones tournament in Europe. It's just the football at the moment is either at weird times or is at sort of the wrong times for me. What um, so obviously England have uh, they've done very well. They're through to now the semi-finals. They're playing technically tonight when this goes out, um, or early Thursday morning against Japan. Um, as you say, it has it's starting to get a lot of coverage at the moment because they're doing so well. Um, you know, there's sort of this this aspect of pride to it. You know, they're doing better than the men's team have ever done. Yeah. You know, talk of it being you know England football's greatest achievement for twenty twenty five years. I mean, do you buy into that, Lawrence? Are you sort of? Do you think it's a little bit? I don't know what the word is. Almost hollow, almost. It comes across a little bit disingenuous, I guess. Um, mm. And you know, the people are only there there for the success. Um, I guess is part of it. But you would also have to say that that you know, if that's the way that the media is operating. Um, pro- probably because um, you know that the, their view is that you know they they want to cover success or those kind of things, or it's also because of the very quick turnaround of the media. It's very difficult to construct a narrative about things that you don't really know about very much, um, and it's much easier to do that within men's football because they feel like uh, there's a very common language which we've constructed over years to do with football, and therefore we can quickly make very easy articles out of that and very quick. Mm. content and it's very easy to just sit down four guys or three guys and just sort of talk about football for a little while and relatively fumble your way through but if you don't know the names (laughs) you don't necessarily know some of the the people in there you don't know uh, you know some of the culture. You know, you're. It's also you've got to remember slightly disenfranchising for all of the uh, people who who you usually have a stranglehold on football. 
um, to then be told, well, hold on, there's a whole load of new people in inverted commas, not not new in that sense, but emerging talents who don't agree with your old mothball idea of football. And, you know, they want to see more yeah. young, hip happening people on TV who have uh, different oh, races, sexes and, uh, you know, all sorts of things. And I for have... some people, that's a little bit scary because it, it threatens their position within the game. I have, I've only been watching England games, to be honest. I haven't watched any other games apart from England. But it has, it's actually been quite enjoyable. It is, it is almost like you say, it's almost like a different sport in some ways. It's kind of like um, men's tennis and women's tennis. There's like big differences between yes. the two. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, it's... But, 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 but uh, then, then let, me say, let me say this. Um, there was a fascinating comment on uh, Claire Balding's show. She mm-hmm. asked uh, Pat... Nevin? Nevin? No, not Nevin. <laughs> he is a he was a Nevin. tennis player. Pat Cash. Uh, Cash. Um, you know why is there such a drive for, um, for 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 women to play five games? And you know why do you think women should be? Uh, it's right that women are paid less because they. But they. But he said, well, they they play less, and he said that. But but the interesting side of that is that when he spoke to some older female. Uh, tennis players and said you know do you think women should play five games they said no but we don't think the men should play five we think they should play three and it would make the game way more interesting and i guess that's the point is that because we build up men's football as the pinnacle and that's what we teach people to appreciate we always think right how can we upgrade it to make it we we think we can make it more like men's football no appreciate it for what it is and see what you can get in your own sport they're completely different because obviously women's football doesn't have the infrastructure the money the interest that men's football has. I think women's tennis has almost grown in unison with, with men's tennis. Yeah, because like, well, they, they are the same tour, which is, which is really worth yeah. saying. And yeah. that, that, you know, that, that's a, that, you know, when you're walking hand in hand with something that's already popular, that's fantastic. Exactly. So, it, it, like I say, it's a very different sport for various reasons, but, 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 but I'm there enjoying are institutionalized problems there. Exactly. Keep exactly. women out of the game. But I'm, I'm glad it's getting the coverage it's getting now. Hopefully that encourages more. It's not on this podcast, eh? Yeah, but it's, I just it's interesting. We we have not even mentioned it once. It's been on for a, uh, almost a month now. But it's time to hop on the bandwagon. Seeing as England are doing well, hopefully we could, we'll talk about it more next week. If yeah, if England do get through to the final, which we, we sort of have to talk about it really and uh, and uh, do our research. If they but don't slag them off. Well, it's been it's just been very entertaining so far. Like I say, it's a different sport. But um, yeah, fingers crossed for tonight that uh, England can beat Japan. So, um, that's my talking book done. Women's World Cup. Dave, you're up next. What have you got? Uh-oh. I think I might explode. I might go on a bit of a rant here. I apologise. Yeah, I'm before, looking forward to that. I'm, before we go on. I like it. But, it's going to meet up and buckle in. I, I just, there's a big question, and it's about the, the, the men's team. Of course, the women are doing fantastic, which is brilliant. But the men's team are absolutely pathetic at the moment. I'm just gonna be. I'm just gonna say it out loud. You know, oh, hey, the under twenty ones didn't even get out of their group at, at the European Championships. It, you know, look at the style of football they were playing, and it was just absolute rubbish. It was just so bad. And I just want to, you know, the question open to you guys, which I'll re-ask after I've gone on my rant, is why are England so rubbish at international level, and where's the development? And for me, it all goes back to bringing in Graham Taylor. If you don't know, Graham Taylor was managing Watford. Um, he took them through the divisions from probably the equivalent of the League Two, League Two uh, back in the day to the Premier League. So they, they came from the bottom to the top quite quickly. It was revolutionary. Everyone was like, "This is when tactics were developing in a way where um, you know there was a long ball game versus the you know short passing game." Graham Taylor brought in 
it was a sim. It was a long ball game, but there was pressing involved, and it was fun. You know, it was good at that time around the eighties. Um, got them to the Premier League, and they did all right. But then the FA brought him in, and he was technical director for a long time. He's set, set in his eye. You know, it's, it seems like he was set in his ideologies that he enjoyed the long ball football. Um, you know, scouting in this in this country and coaching all looked at players that are big that are physically developed or are really quick and we that, you know we're missing that you know the Paul Scholes players that Paul Scholes you know nearly didn't make it at Man United you know imagine if that had happened ridiculous but anyway I think this goes down to the coaching pyramid I think it's absolutely awful in the country at the moment so as a football fan I absolutely love football and I'd love to do my coaching badges there's two problems here that, that sort of stop me firstly the cost you look at so basically what you want to get to as a football coach to get to a decent level is you want a UEFA B. So basically, you've got to do in England you've got to do two levels, then you'll get to do the UEFA B, um, and then there's a UEFA A, and then you become a, a full-time coach and you get a pro UEFA license. So to do the courses to get to the to get to sort of the UEFA A, so you've done UEFA B, you've got to spend around thirteen hundred quid, which is absolutely ridiculous. That is a lot of money. Then you look at, so I'm, I'm telling you the bar barriers to enter, enter are very, very difficult. And then you look at how, who you're going to learn off to, 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 you know, to become a really good coach. You look at England and you look at the number of players. So I'm, what I'm going to talk about in a sec is the player, the number of uh, UEFA B licensed coaches in a country, UEFA A licensed country, play, uh, coaches in a country, and the UEFA Pro license. In the UK, there's 3,000 of these coaches in, in total. In France, there's seventy, there's nearly seventeen and a half thousand. In Germany, there's thirty-five thousand. In Italy, there's twenty-nine thousand, and in Spain, there's twenty-three thousand. Spain seems a little low, but you look at Spain and they've got the the most UEFA A license, so they've got the sort of like the championship, the championship style um, coaches. They've got the most of them, and I think we are so far behind in the game at the moment. It's ridiculous, and why are these entries so big? And that's why I think that that is the problem with English football at the moment is the coaching. What do you guys think? That was uh, that was good stuff. Um, what I, I I don't know enough in depth um, about the sort of the coaching methods, about the structure they have in the England setup. To tell you, it seems like you know a lot more than me, Dave. It sounds like you're the, you're the, the expert. Well, actually, I just wanted to, I'd love to do it, but the, you know the the the, the barriers to entry. Sorry, that that you've got to pay. Level one is one hundred and sixty-five pounds. And that is just to get on the ladder. So you do your level one, and then you can go into like doing level one goalkeeping coach, level one coaching disabled footballers, level one coaching adult footballers. Does the FA not, does the FA not subsidise this sort of stuff? Well, no? you know, this is the thing. They Potentially, they may subsidise it. They're, they're, they signed a deal with the great people at McDonald's that do, you know, go in from time <laughs> to time and let, you know, okay. they do pay for people's coaching courses. But it's just not there at all. You know, they're going back to those numbers again. 3,000 coaches compared to like 20,000, 30,000, all the yeah, key European yeah. nations. It's just pathetic. It is, it, is quite, it is quite stark and it is quite obvious what the problem is. Like you're saying, it is that grassroots, it is the, the, the training structural aspect of it. But it just seems like, I don't know, it seems like it's so hard to, to fix. It doesn't seem like there's any easy answers in terms of the Football Association seems like it's quite unwieldy, huge organization sort of bogged yeah. down in bureaucracy and all this sort of stuff because mm. when when we, i feel like we've heard about we, we realize what the problem is for the last i don't know what five six seven years people have been talking about yeah. this is the problem and what has been done about it pretty much nothing they built st george's park maybe well i yeah. mean that is, that is a positive move at least 
Yeah, great positive. But I mean, um, and it's it's, it's it's good in the sense that also they built it away from. Um, but they they didn't have a golf course, Lawrence, on there. You know, that's the biggest problem. <laughs> there was no <laughs> golf course. Gerard, uh, Gerard wasn't happy, was he? <laughs> well, I mean, institutionally, yeah, that that works. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess there then you also have to say, you know, um, what else can you do in terms of um, approach, attitude, those kind of things, and. You know, is there a different approach to um, football in other countries? And you probably say, yes, again, there is. You know, there's a lot more thought, I think, that goes around it. And it's it, people are much less um, chastised for wanting to intellectualise something. Well, I mean, what happened to the big report that Greg Dyke, who is the head of the FA, what happened to that big commission report that he released? I think ultimately it came up with very obvious conclusions that most people sort of went, yeah, yeah we, you, you wrote a report on things that are obvious. There, I mean, have they have they done anything to implement them, or is there any news about? I think what's well, that's happening part of it is I think it, it became a bit of a, a self congratulation sort of thing. That was like we found what the problems are, and we think we're addressing them. But I also think that the issue may also be that you know that it takes time to address some of these issues because. Well, that's yeah, that, that that was a year ago now, and. Um... Well, I mean, to be fair to them, they are doing things like, you know, building St. George's Park. They're probably, it's also a, a slight issue um, that, that we don't have as many institution clubs that are maybe reaching out to people in the same way. Or maybe it's a select few that then only want to get to the very top of the game. I mean, you know, it's not a terrible thing to stop at a certain level and realise what you can do there. Wow. Just... I've just Googled the report quickly. Quite frankly, I've read the executive summary quickly. It's all rubbish. It's all talking about players and being like, you know, how are we going to get more players at this level to come through? And it's just, it seems like, it really does. It's it obvious. just seems like they're missing the point. Yeah. Wood, wooden trees. Yeah. yeah. Is, what, do you, what do you make of, if I said, well, people who say that the, the problem with England is the Premier League in terms of, it's it's divorced from the football association over here, isn't it? The Premier League is its own, it's it's, it's its own thing, isn't it? It's so rampant Thatcherism. Well, it, well, yeah, it broke away from the football league, right? And it's sort of, it's not really subject to FA oversight, is it? Or am I well, yeah, well, yeah the, well, I mean, to some extent, it is. But the irony would also be then if, um, say. I don't know. They, they then when when people want to break away from it, they go, "Well, you can't do that." Um, and so it's really safety and money for the the Premier League is what they've mm. built, um, <laughs> and you know they've built that alongside other people. And you know the Ooh. NBA and other people have tried to do that, um, but they've done it in a sense that then they feel like they're giving back. It seems so, it seemed like a lot of the ideas that he came up with were sort of trounced straight away almost. Do you remember the, the B teams idea? Premier League B teams? Yeah, but then that's the problem is that, that you can't you can't just, just give an down. answer and think that's good enough. You you know it, it but they, got, so they just got shot time. down anyway, so it was Yeah, like, because it's not a system that's gonna work. There yeah. are better solutions out there. If you've just yeah. commissioned a report and the problem is it also it's another one of those institutional issues and people said that and we all said this at the time. It's another institutional issue where I mean, holy shit, if you'd have just come to some bloggers and gone, guys, what's the problem in the game? Yeah. They'd have given you better answers than that. So so what? why didn't you ask those people? Oh, because you had to ask experts. Experts who say what? Who say the same things they've been saying for years who, who or who will say this. And I'm, that's not me discrediting the people in the report, but it's me saying, think outside your normal box and don't just go to the same old people. 
It's mental. You look. You, I'm just looking at the report now. I've not seen it before. It's absolutely mental what they're saying. They're saying that the problem is that there's not enough England, English players starting in the Premier League. Is that the issue? That's not even. That's nowhere near the issue. There's no players starting in the Premier League because they're not good enough to play at that level, and that's the issue. But maybe they're not getting the chances because they're not good enough. And they, they're, they're, they're calling about... it's a chicken egg, though, isn't it, Dave? I mean, they're saying short term, oh, you have to. Yeah, then, even... yeah, they're not starting in the Premier League. That's the problem. Well, no, the yes. problem is that you're, yeah, like you say, you're not, you're not, you're not giving the Premier League a problem where they have to choose English players. The problem is the Premier League is saying, look, we've got better options, so we're going to go with those. Yeah, I do exactly. think things. I do. I do think things like. I think that's like a short term option. You know I mean, so long term, obviously, improve the academy so the players are better themselves. Yeah. But I do think short term, if you could boost the number of homegrown players in squads and in starting 11s, it would help to, for for play, young players to get that exposure. You know I mean, you look at Harry Kane this season; he, he starts in the first team for the first season and. Look at him go, but the problem is, it just seems like it's mired in just impossible, uh, you know, tangled webs. I mean, look at the homegrown players at the moment. You've got people like Alex Song who count as homegrown players. Yeah. Uh, Gail Clichy is another one. So I don't, in terms of the international, the national team, it doesn't really, it doesn't help at the moment. So there needs to be some sort of, I don't even know, there needs to be some overhaul. But then all these things get promised and they get followed through on, do they? Crazy. Mm. There you go. What a lovely note to end this week's podcast. <laughs> a nice, happy, optimistic note. Hey, we gave you zero, literally zero solutions. Just a load more issues. It. I'm going to change it. I'm going to do the coaching, sort that stuff out. I'm not clever enough or, you know, in a place to, to make solutions, Lawrence. I'm just in the position where I can come on a podcast and just moan about stuff. And just talk. Give <laughs> no solutions whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so, guys, thank you very much for listening this week. Hope you enjoyed. It's a bumper episode. We're at almost an hour and a half now. So it's a big, big episode. I'm um, so sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry to subject you to all that. Um, so, guys, where can uh, the people find more of your work, Lawrence? At Lozcast, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T, uh, go online and you can find me Lozcast.com. And Dave? At Squawker Dave on Twitter, follow it if you haven't. I just want to give a shout out to my followers. And we've just come over the 7,600 followers. So cheers, oh, really? Thanks a lot. I crossed, I crossed 2K this week. So, uh, oh, I, no, that's a shout out. Doesn't mean anything, but uh, <laughs> uh, thank, thanks for following me. Uh, yeah. um, uh, Adam, where can people find you? Well, um, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood. I have 888 followers oh. right now. So, you know, I'm lagging behind you guys significantly, but I love every single one of them. They're yeah. awesome. It's not about number, it's about what you do with them. Yeah, Dave. No, well done. Anyway. Um, also, <laughs> you can, if you're on YouTube, you can find me at The Football Republic, which is the new channel I'm helping to set up. Lawrence is on there quite a lot. And yeah. hopefully, we're going to have Dave on next week. Hopefully. Uh, taking on the yes. True Geordie, which would be exciting. In love, Dave. It'd be interesting to see if Dave can beat the True Geordie. I am going to say, I put money on Dave to beat him. You know what? He's got the stats. I'm, I'm, He's putting, money, I'm putting money on a 6 0 win to Dave. That's, That's all I'm it. saying, all matter. right? Okay. Well, okay. we can't have that. But. <laughs> no, no. All I'm saying is, um, yeah, you're right, because people are betting on it. Um, I'm putting money on a 12 0 win to Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Mathematically impossible. I'd love to see it. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to this week's show, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>